Good morning, everyone. You brave the rain. I love it. First off, thank you, Jonah, for all that you do for us. I want y'all to know what a blessing Jonah and Kelsey are to me and to us. To give me a break to allow me to actually speak to you today and not do both things. If you're visiting with us, my name's Todd. I'm the worship leader here at Church at East. Good morning. And it's been a while since I gave, last gave a sermon and standing in front of you now, I know why. Because public speaking is the number one fear of all mankind, right? This is easy for me. This is not. But I'll get through it. Uh, Jerry Seinfeld had a bit when he was doing stand-up. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> He's like, a study that showed that speaking in front of a crowd is considered the number one fear of the average person. Number two is death, you know? <laughs> death is number two. If you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than be given the eulogy, right? What's the deal with public speaking? All right, so bear with me. I may repeat myself a lot. I may, you know, stumble over some words and just focus on this, but I'll try to get through it. But thank you for being here. Uh, we are going through our, our Acts uh, sermon series right now, and uh, I'm excited about it. Last week, uh, Austin spoke on discipleship. <clears throat> this week, we're worship. Who's going to give the worship sermon? I guess it's going to be me. Right? No. It was, I, I volunteered to do it. I, it was my choice. I'm just playing. I know. It's me. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. But uh, a lot of our people will be given the, uh, the messages following us. And just remember that number two is death, everybody. Uh, but servants, communion, prayers, evangelism, learning, missionaries. And please encourage everybody who's uh, speaking. Um, But before we get going, I would like for you all to rest on and contemplate one sentence this morning as as I move through this sermon. Something we say every Sunday morning in our liturgy together. Rest on this sentence and think about what it means to you. We offer ourselves back to you a living act of praise. What do those words mean to you? Let me pray for us. Lord, we love you. We are here for you and you alone. We gather together to worship you, to praise you, to learn about you, and what a blessing this hour or so is to us all. May you calm our nerves and hearts and calm our souls and allow us to rest in your presence this morning. It's in your beautiful and heavenly name that we submit this time to you. Amen. If you have your Bible with you, bookmark Psalm 100 for later. It'll be at the end of the service. And I'll be quoting a lot of scripture this morning, bouncing around, some on the screen, some not, but don't, don't feel like you have to follow along each time. But I do want you to look at a word on the screen right now and someone pronounce it for me, if they can. Give it a go. Anybody? What? Close. Anyone else? Close. Yeah, I went through this a lot, trying to figure it out and pushing like the pronunciation button on, you know, dictionary. It is we're sippy. We're sippy. It is the Anglo-Saxon word where we get worship from. Uh, it means worthiness or worthship or to give someone their worth or acknowledgement of worth. So let's worshipy the Lord this morning. <laughs> I couldn't figure this word out, and I just kept, you know, trying to. I was asking people, what is it, you know? How do you pronounce this and doing the pronunciation button? But we got it. So y'all were close enough. 
The definition of worship, the feeling of expression or reverence and adoration for a deity. Reverence and adoration, both a noun and a verb, an action and a feeling. It's also a name. In monarchies, kings and queens are called your worship. In Star Wars, on Solo called Princess Leia, your worshipfulness. Just got to throw some Star Wars in there. Worship is also found in about 1% of the Bible. There are eight to 900,000 words, give or take translation, and it's found eight to 9,000 times. So it's a good little chunk. If you grew up in a traditional church, which most of us did, the Sunday morning gathering you'd go to is obviously called a service of worship or a worship service. We call this our Sunday gathering, which is great, but it is a service of worship. All of the things we do in this hour or so involves worshiping our Heavenly Father. The acts that we'll be covering in this sermon series all involve submitting ourselves in reverence and adoration to a deity through those acts. The service of worship is the heart of the church that Jesus loved so much that he gave himself up for her. Jesus loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church when he gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25. This is a gift to us. To help us live out our calling, God designed the church to help us meet our needs as Christians. And we are created by God to do one thing, to worship him. He built us to glorify him, to exalt him. He made us all worshipers. We all worship so many other false idols instead of him. and We all place so many other needs in front of him daily. Think about what is most important to you day in and day out. And what you spend the most time on. I'm not, I'm not going to spend time on this today. We all know that about ourselves. So I'm not going to dive into that. But I read somewhere that if you spend two hours a day, every day on something, anything, that equals to a whole month of your year. Just two hours a day. We are the image of God, the Imago Dei, created by God to glorify God with all that we are. Genesis 1, 26, 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Isaiah 43, bring my sons from afar and my my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God walked among us, died for us, died for his bride, and left us this gift so that we may rest in his presence and glorify him. And through worship, we do just that. C.S. Lewis says, In worship we enter, touch, and are touched by the presence of God himself. We have been created to live like that. Again, every subject we'll be hearing about for the sermon series on our acts of why we do the things we do all involve and begin with submitting ourselves to the Lord as a living act of praise. Our action of falling to our knees in prayer, breaking bread in Holy Communion, of hearing and learning the word of God through Scripture, of serving others in His name, is the action of highly exalting Jesus. In Philippians 2.9, Paul wrote, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And I want to dive into the term highly exalted. It is taken from the Greek compound word, hooper upsao. I should have put that up there and I should have pronounced it. Hooper upsao. Oh, it is? Oh, I did put it up there. Someone pronounce that for me. The Greek word upsao means to exalt, to lift up, to elevate, to prop up. But get this, the word hooper is where we get our word hyper from. This would change highly exalted to hyper exalted for us. It sounds like a game my son plays, like hyper exalt, you know. (laughs) Push the hyper exalt button. I don't know why that was the first thing I thought of when I read it. Thanks, Micah. What is interesting is that the Bible often says that if we obey God's commands and demonstrate faithfulness to him, then God will upsao, exalt us. For example, the word upsao is used in James 4.10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. The words lift you up are our translation from James' first century word, upsao. Another example is found in 1 Peter 5.6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Once again, the words exalt you are our translation from Peter's first century word, upsao. So the Bible teaches that God promises that if we obey his commands and demonstrate faithfulness to him, God will then upsao us. The Apostle Paul takes the word exalt and adds the word hooper to it, hyper. So literally, Philippians 2.9 teaches that Jesus Christ is and should be hyper-exalted, you know? What does it mean to hyper-exalt, hooper upsal? The word implies that you exceed the limits, that you exceed what you are capable of doing, that you go above and beyond what you are capable of. For example, when you think about athletics, and since football just started, I'm going to talk about football, but a football player hyper-extends a joint, hyper-extends a knee, Right? their leg or their arm, it means they have exceeded the limit of how far that appendage can go, right? Exceeded it. It's not supposed to go that far, right? Another example is when you hyperventilate. You breathe excessively. You're not supposed to breathe that much, right? Or when kids are hyperactive, you know? They're going above and beyond what they're supposed to be doing at the time, right? But it it describes an action that exceeds all normal actions and responses. Therefore, Philippians 2.9 tells us that we should make sure that the Lord Jesus Christ receives more glory, more praise, and more honor than absolutely anything and everything that has ever existed and ever will exist. His name, his praise, his glory should be exalted above everything through our life of continual worship. When I was writing this late the other night... uh, I was pretty tired, and after looking back over what I had written, instead of the word hyper-exalted, I would accidentally written hyper-exhausted, not once, but twice. I was like, it's time to shut it down. <clears throat> but the life of a follower of Christ is a life of continual worship, and everything we do, the expanse of worship, encompasses the entirety of our lives. Worship is hyper-exalting, going beyond who we are, and what we feel we're capable of giving Everything we are, we give to him. Not just here, everywhere. But true exaltation begins here with the service of worship as the body and the bride of Christ. 
Jesus said in John 4.23, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Our normal form of worship on a Sunday morning in a contemporary style is with singing and praise, like we just did. And I love this style of worship. But worship is not solely about instruments and music, like Allison mentioned. In the church history, it hasn't always been like this. But one of, the, one of my favorite men of history, John Wesley, even said, I have no objection to instruments of music in our chapels, provided they are neither seen nor heard. Come on, John, really? Turn the knife. Like his brother Charles is writing these hymns and making these beautiful, you know, the music, and he's like, put the instruments in the closet, please, you know? Come on, John. But he believed more in the human voice, sonically, together as one, that is more powerful than any instrument can provide. A group of people singing together without instrumental accompaniment is called a what? Anybody? Acapella. Acapella. Beautiful word. This widely used term that everyone knows so and well is a Latin phrase that literally means in the manner of the church. In the manner of the church. And I love that. When you think of anyone singing together on stage or Christmas caroling, folks should be like, those people are singing in the manner of the church. You know? The manner of the church. A choir is a beautiful thing. And singing out to our Heavenly Father is a beautiful thing. And in this contemporary setting, you are the choir of our church. We're not all trained singers or musicians, and most of us who step foot into a church aren't trained in the art of vocal expression. But you guys sound amazing, though. I love singing with you all. I've led for a lot of churches, big and small. I used to travel around and jump around to different churches before I settled here, and I'm thankful that I'm here. But back in the day, I used to regularly lead for a church down south. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I loved that church. It was a little bit more of a production than here, big stage, beautiful church. Had a 9.30 and an 11 o'clock service, and I could count on every time I led, this sweet little old lady front row, I'm up on stage looking out literally right here, usually with her family, her grandchildren, hyper-exalting the Lord. <laughs> I mean, full-blown, as loud as she can be, whether she knew the words, knew the song or not, top of her lungs, clapping off beat. Brian and Mandy were actually there. Y'all led down there with me. You know, you might remember it. But literally, we, so we have in-ear monitors there, musicians, and floor monitors, and we could hear her over us. Like, what's the beat? I don't even know where, you know. But her name was Gloria. I think her name was, I hope her name is Gloria. But the most beautiful, sweetest lady that came in before everyone else, you know, planted herself in her spot probably there every morning, or every Sunday morning, hyper-exalting the Lord, going above and beyond what she's capable of doing, you know. God bless her. And she was always so sweet to me. And, oh, you're such a blessing. I loved it. I loved hugging her. But worship isn't always about praise. It's about falling to your knees in pain and tears and heartache at the foot of the cross. That is worship. Worship is filled with beauty and pain. It's not all praise. One of us may have had a wonderful week and come floating in here in praise, praising the Lord like Gloria, 
And one of us may be hurting from a terrible week, on their knees in pain, but we are still together in that moment. We still sing and reflect. We still pray. We still break bread. We do it together as one, as the body of Christ. And when we are all together, it is powerful. There is power in this gathering. You know the feeling you get. I know the feeling I get when I'm up here leading you. I know the moments when our affections are stirring. I look out and see the tears. I look out and see the joy. And I feel it with you. And he feels it with us. This gathering Jesus gave to his dearly beloved children to be able to return the love back to our Heavenly Father is beautiful. Our lives are about receiving, reflecting, and returning that love. And God alone is worthy of all of our worship. And his presence is here because we, we, we request it with the act of our worship. He is omnipotent and omnipresent, but the Holy Spirit is a presence that we experience together, that we request. And I feel that we can create with our own presence and energy together, through us, him flowing through us together. The action of worship does just that. And the space that we meet in is also filled with the presence of God. I was reading up on the history of the church the other day and in thinking about Acts and what we're going through, what we're walking through. Uh, The beginning of the church, the first chapels, I read this. Common features of these new services included vestments or robes for the clergy, processionals, choirs, and incense, and churches filled with Christian art usually using the popular media of the time, mosaics. When I read that, the first thing I thought of was our gathering. Surrounded by beautiful art in this gallery, and what a special place it is. I know good and well that wherever our church meets, the Spirit of God is there. Take Baptism Sunday, if you all remember that, on the banks of the lake, downtown Austin, how beautiful that morning was. But this rugged warehouse-style gallery with an AC that might work or might not, with dripping water, leaks, you know. It's, it's a special place. I wouldn't plan on telling this story. But I will tell you this story. So back in 2015, because it pertains to this, back in 2015, <clears throat> I was curating two art shows for one of my closest friends in life. Um, he had a series he was presenting, and it's actually, he painted the cover of the Dwell in Us album. But he's, you know, we're so close. We sharpen each other like iron sharpens iron. We had two shows that year. One of them was here, and one of them was in Houston. The one here, everyone we worked with, before, after, during, were just awesome and amazing. And the night of the show was just absolutely beautiful. We upgraded the space, but just made it, you know, a comfortable place. And just everyone was awesome and respectable, and we were just floored by the beauty of that night. It was really awesome. Then we go to Houston, and this is not about the cities or anything, it's about the spaces. Then we go to Houston, polar opposite, polar opposite. There was something about the people we were working with beforehand that were negative, there was a negative vibe, something was missing there. The night of, all these crazy things happened, and I'm just like, what? Why would things, like, People's tires getting slashed in the parking lot. I'm not going to go into all the details, but maybe we'll have coffee. I'll tell you all about them. But crazy stuff happened that I'm just, 
why is this happening here? And after the fact, he and I got together and we're just like, why did one go over so well and the other one just fail to us and just felt so strange or so weird? And the only conclusion I could make, honestly, is that this place is filled with the presence of God. It's just, it, it is. I mean, you think about how many faith communities have met here, other than us, over time. And you think about, I mean, we're praying for this space. We're, every Sunday morning we're here, bringing in the presence of God. And you think about the people of Imagine Art who are given their lives to serve the least, to serve the mentally challenged every day. To give them something beautiful. A craft to do to bless this space. You know, the presence of God is here every day. That's all I could, that's the only conclusion I could come to is that one, the presence of God is palpable and the other one had the absence of God. It just wasn't there. But when it comes to experiencing the presence and the absence of God, you must look at the evil in this world, balance with the good in this world. And Jesus spoke about evil and demons quite a bit. If you follow Christ but don't feel that spiritual warfare is real and is present in our lives and affecting our lives, then we need to dive back into Scripture more. And we might need to do a sermon series on spiritual warfare. Where'd Austin go? I'm going to point that out. But it's real. Jesus was tempted by evil, he fought it, he exercised demons, he gave us this gathering as a beautiful refuge from it. He is a refuge and his bride is a refuge. Ephesians 6.12 For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 2 Corinthians 4, 16, 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. When we look at this gathering, what we do on Sunday mornings together, Sunday after Sunday, view it with a spiritual and eternal perspective. We set up an outpost in the middle of the war, and we go to battle together. Evil surrounds us, and we come here to this refuge to join hands, to lift voices, to lift prayers, to love and ignite a light in the midst of this present darkness. What we do here together matters. Don't neglect it. One of the songs we've been singing together lately called Children of God, I believe rings so true for us and true to that perspective. We are believers, all our hope in the risen one. We are soldiers fighting with faith and love. We are pilgrims on a journey to reach our home, standing together. We are the children of God. I love to think that when we worship together, the evil one just hates it, right? Hates it. Like the Grinch looking down at the Who's in Whoville 
you know, with their singing and their happiness and their joy, just loathing what we do here. It's like, come on, guys, you have to do this every Sunday, just stay home, right? He would love for us to not do this, to not be here. One of my favorite books of all time is Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Everybody up to date on that one? I like to think about a chapter in there talking about us. But Screwtape is a senior high-level demon. And throughout the book, he's guiding his nephew Wormwood, a lower-level demon. He's guiding him to become a better demon. And they're working on what they call a patient, a man they're trying to tempt and turn to the dark side, so to speak. But I see Screwtape saying in one of his letters, My dear Wormwood, no need to go to 2830 Real Street at the Imagine Art Building. The place is full of love and hope, and God's presence is palpable, so don't waste your time there. You know? So I would hope that that would be the case. When we worship together as the body of Christ, it is powerful, sonically, internally, emotionally, and we are stronger and more powerful in numbers. And ask any elder. They'll tell you that at most elder meetings, I always say, I always say this, that I would love to see every soul, every person in our church family for just one Sunday morning, our whole church body here together, worshiping together to see how powerful and moving that might be. I'll I'll put it on the calendar if we want to try and shoot for that. I know it's tough. But the joy that we would feel together, seeing each other, loving each other, I know it may never happen, but I can dream. I promise you, I can dream of it. But I, I understand seasons. We all understand seasons. This isn't judging anyone for missing. I'm in no way saying that we shouldn't travel or have a day off, or that we shouldn't have seasons that keep us from being here every Sunday. Do your thing. Live your life. I just want to remind us, I want us to remind ourselves of how important this gathering is to each and every one of us. And when you look to your left and to your right, those people love you, they need you, they want to see you, and they want to worship with you. Your leaders will be here no matter if there's two or 200 of us. We'll be worshiping together. We've done it before. Okay? Hebrews 10. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. True worship is going beyond what we feel we're capable, capable of doing for Him, but being here should be an easy decision. It's all of us together as one body serving each other with our presence. It's struggling during the week with all that life throws at us and sometimes dragging ourselves here to feel the presence of God and to become equipped by each other and fulfilled or filled with love and reignited to once again put on our armor and go back out into the world to get through another week on the battlefield. What does it mean to us to live out the acts of praise? What does it look like to live a life of worship together? It starts here. I'm going to talk about you guys real quick. Aisha and Brian. It's Aisha and Brian having a rough night, a rough Sunday morning with Lucia, and still peeling themselves out of bed and coming to church. I'm bringing you guys up because of your post the other day. Can I read it? And I quote Aisha. We walked in late, and we were feeling bad because we hadn't been to church in a while. 
It was a rough morning, the kind that almost makes you change your mind about braving church with a baby. But when I walked up and saw the door cracked open, I felt like it was open for me. Just enough for me to see in. Just enough for me to hear the song welcoming me in. And just like that, I felt like I was home. You made me tear up. Thanks. (laughs) Home. Even though they really just wanted to stay home, when they got here and heard the worship and saw our faces and entered this beautiful refuge, they were filled with thankfulness that they did come because they know what they feel when they're here with you, to love on you, and to sing with you and pray for you, washing themselves clean in spirit and in truth and feeling right at home. Being at home here means they come to pray for you and to pray for friends like Nick and Whitney, who have moved half a world away, struggling to give birth to their new family, not in the normal sense, but the most uncomfortable and uncommon way possible, because they are living out the act of praise, going above and beyond what they are capable of doing, going out of their comfort zone to worship Him with every, every fiber of their being. They're submitting 24 hours a day for the rest of their lives to love and serve three siblings, three dearly beloved children of God who are now given a chance at a beautiful and fulfilling life that they may never have had. Because of Nick and Whitley reflecting God's love for them in a living act of praise. Nick and Whitney long to be here with us, to be at home, at this gathering, to worship with us. They've expressed that to me, how much they miss this, how much they miss you. It's them praying for our church body, praying for us, for friends like Mandy and Eric who through their living act of praise are living out the image of God by opening their home to God's beautiful creation and rehabbing and caring for and nurturing beautiful animals who may not have otherwise had a chance at life. And caring for them and returning them out into this world to beautify His creation because in the image of God we have been trusted to have domain over His creation. It's Mandy and Eric coming here to pray for friends Like Drew and Lauren, and Drew in his act of praise, gave his time and leadership to young boys who may not have had a father figure in their life and without a thought of who they are or what their story is, he just selflessly gave his time to teach them teamwork and camaraderie camaraderie, and shared the knowledge of a sport he loves and brought joy to their lives by teaching them how to play baseball. It's Drew and Lauren and all of us coming here to pray for Meg, who was traveling alone and broke her wrist far from home and needed surgery, but didn't have a community or a support group with her. But she felt it because she knew we were here together lifting her up, and through that she knew we were there with her in spirit. Right? And it's Meg coming home, here to love on and pray for the Evers family, who through their living acts of praise have selflessly taken on caring for a family that needs it, regardless of who they are or what they believe or why they need the help. They just give unconditional love and support to them as a living act of praise that reflects God's love for us because they are children of God. And it's Austin praying for me a year ago last Sunday when I stood here in tears leading you all because my friends and family in my hometown of Houston were underwater and devastated by Hurricane Harvey and Austin stopped the service and you all came up and placed hands on me and prayed for me and my family so that I might have the strength 
to get through that morning for one, and then go serve them and love them and be sent to them as a living act of praise. This is us equipping each other and encouraging each other to go out and love the world the way Christ loves us more than we are capable of doing. We come here to receive, to reflect, and to return. I'm going to make a shirt of that with a triangle, receive, reflect, return. Sorry. But we need this. We need each other. Don't neglect this gathering. Your presence is requested here. Let's go beyond what we feel we're capable of in our exaltation of our Savior. Let's love each other more than we're capable of. Let's pray for each other more than we're capable of. Let's be the body. Let's love His bride the way He loved His bride. Take that with you this week. What does being a living act of praise and living out the acts of worship look like for you in your life? What does hyper-exalting look like for you? I love you all. I love this gathering. Don't you? Right? All right. I'll wrap it up. Sorry. But in closing, I'd like for us to all do something together. The act of worship before it involved instruments, before there were hymns written, consisted of the leaders in the congregation reading Scripture together aloud. This morning I want us to do just that. Please turn to Psalm 100 or read along from the slides. I think I have it up there. And as we prepare our hearts to break bread together for Holy Communion and a living act of praise, please know that there is room at our table and all are welcome no matter your background or what your beliefs may be. Stand with me please and let's worship our Lord together. Read along with me. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Amen.